Hey gang, I had a really great conversation with the novelist Sam Lipsight, who wrote the cover story for the May issue of Harper's about sex and technology, specifically robots and virtual reality. We talked about digisexuals. We talked about Las Vegas. We talked about Twitter. We talked about hackers locking a man's penis inside a cage. So this was a very interesting conversation. I will ask once again, if you enjoy this show, give it a five-star rating on your podcast app, leave a positive review, tell your friends, share it on social media, etc., etc. Okay, enjoy. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Ari Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Sam Lipsight. Sam, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Sam Lipsight. I am a writer primarily of novels and short stories. Infrequently, I do also do journalism. I teach uh, writing, fiction writing at Columbia University's School of the Arts. Uh, thank you for joining me on the show today. So we're going to be talking about a piece that you wrote for Harper's, and it was the cover story of the May issue, Robots Virtual Reality and the Future of Sex is what it says on the cover. The article itself, which we will link to in the uh, show notes, it's called Ghosting the Machine, Humans, Robots, and the New Sexual Frontier, which you can find online on harpers.org. Well, first, what was the origin of this piece? Did, was it pitched to you? Did you want to do it? Where did, where did the idea come from? I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, uh, for sure. It was pitched to me, uh, really a great editor at Harper's name, Elizabeth Bryant. Um, she edits articles, and I guess she also helps edit the reading section. And um, I think she had published a little bit, either from a talk or an article written by an academic named Marty Twist. And it was about this idea of digisexuality, this new sexual identity. And, um, and it was just a little, maybe it was a couple paragraphs that she published in the reading section, but she, you know, was kind of stayed interested in the topic and stayed in touch a little bit with this academic, Marky Twist. And so I, from what I gather, she then decided that she wanted to commission a longer piece about all of this stuff. And several times I asked her why she asked me. Um, <laughs> and I never really got a satisfactory answer, but uh, I was intrigued. Uh, often I think that I, you know, as I said, I don't do a lot of journalism. I'm mostly a fiction writer, but when I go off and do, a, you know, an involved reported piece like this, you know, it seems important that I be like the wrong guy for the job. That to me <laughs> uh -huh. seems to be the way the way in for me. So, you know, I'm a middle-aged writer with, you know, kind of a technophobe. So I think it was, you know, it, that's what intrigued me. It sort of seemed to, it was a lot of things that I resisted in life were, were in this story. So I was interested. And so, uh, we figured out sometimes that this uh, academic Marky Twist and a, a, another academic, a philosophy professor from Canada named Neil MacArthur were giving, presenting together. And it turned out they were giving a series of talks at this museum, the Erotic Heritage Museum in Las Vegas. And so it was decided that I would fly to Las Vegas for the weekend, attend the talk, hang out with them and see what happened. Right. So the piece is very much like your experience of this event and being in Las Vegas in general and 
you present, you know, the, the scene of pandemic, you know, era Las Vegas in addition to that's a pretty grim, yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk talking about this idea of digisexuality, which I is that did they come up with that term themselves, the two academics, or is that they didn't I don't think they coined it, but they've been popularizing it. And another term that's in play is robosexual, but they okay. prefer digisexual. Okay. And it, you know, there's over the past five or so years, various ideologisms have emerged related to sexuality and sapiosexual would be one of them. That's people who need like to- Like smart people? Is that what that is? Yeah, or they need to feel an intellectual attraction before physical. Well, at least I, that definition might be slightly off. And then there's also like demisexual. And, and this whole, a lot of this stuff sort of bubbled up from Tumblr, I think, online and it's spread. And then you see people who identify this way. But so are there people, so they're predicting that this is going to be like the wave of the future, but are there, are there digisexuals self-identified out there now? There are a few, there are a few who like, so there are these kind of conferences and online, often online. Uh, well, yeah, they're conferences. The one I, I first heard Marky Twist speak at was uh, back last uh, November, I guess. But um, there are people who call themselves robosexuals and digisexuals and talk about this. But I think that it's really more about finding a name for stuff that people are doing anyway. What, they, what their claim is, is that there will be a need to put a name to the uh, what they see as an increasing number of people who not only you know use technology as you know probably a, a huge number of us already do for sexual purposes, but use it without other humans involved in any way, um, meaning using sex bots or VR and computer generated. Um, you know, sexual partners and, and so forth. So um, they're saying, and they describe, as I say in the article, they describe it in two waves. The first wave of digisexuality is what we've been having for the last 20, 30 years. Of, and, you know, it includes all the ways that people use, you know, chat rooms and Skype or Zoom or uh, control each other's sex toys remotely, you know, all these kinds of things that people do already. But they're using it to connect to other people or be in the vicinity of other people. And, and they see a second wave being, while being a continuum, you know, some people will do both, being there'll be some people who will be so immersed in just the technology, you know, not really using it to connect with other people, but just sort of being in a completely digitized or robotic environment that we were that we're going to need a name for it. And the reason they claim they're going to need a name for it is that there's going to be uh, pushback on those people, persecution, there's going to be marginalization. And their idea is what, you know, let's skip the stigma stage. You know, all sorts of sexuality sometimes goes through a stage of stigma. And, and so let's move past that. What they're not, what they don't seem exactly certain about because they think that the answer is really lies in how the technology itself develops is you know, what, what kind of identity this really is, what, you know, how you could really define it, whether you can define it as really a sexual identity, like, you know, being gay, or is it a relational identity, like I'm, you know, polyamorous, mm -hmm. or is it more about like specific, a specific erotic preference, like, you know, kink or BDSM? And that's how they, they talk about it. Those are different categories that, you know, they're not 
that have some fluidity between them because it's not quite clear where you know where this all will land but they just feel that i think they feel that space must be cleared to have this discussion uh-huh so you know a lot of people have noted that like pornography of the porn industry has been an innovator in technology for a long time and like early you know like pornographers and people distributing pornography very early into like home video cassettes and online of course and um well it would be like pornography in the military or the great innovators right <laughs> um and so this is i mean this is not pornography as we understand it but you know it seems to occupy a middle ground and then you also have two potential new technologies that people have been talking about for a long time robots and yeah. virtual reality and um you know the robot stuff is usually talked about in terms of like robots taking our jobs away or having like a or maybe this is like you know rosie the robot from the jetsons or something like having robots serving right. it said virtual reality you know the um, but it always ends with we have to fight the robots right Isn't that yes correct? i mean yeah there's a dystopian aspect to this often and yeah the robots decide you know that they know better than we do and they need to eliminate humans um so there's always that fear but it's more i mean the way it's been talked about the past five or so years is more about taking jobs away and just like a continuation of automation um and i guess you could i don't know if you touched on this but you know a sex robot you could imagine taking a job away from a human sex worker yeah and maybe that's a fear but then like virtual reality is this thing that Mark Zuckerberg and other people think is truly the wave of the future. And Zuckerberg has like staked the future of Facebook on the metaverse being like the next evolution of the web. But his version, as you know, is like totally de-sexed. And he seems like, to think it'll, it's just gonna be like a place where people have meetings. Yeah. And the little, the little like avatars or whatever you would call them, the representation of, of other people in the things that they've shown of his metaverse like the people have nothing like below the waist, like they're floating. They have no legs, but also no genitals. So it would be impossible to have sex in Zuckerberg's metaverse because you're just like the top half of a a person with, with nothing below your belly button. But you know, the, like as porn innovated in streaming video and and other things, like seemingly they will, (laughs) they will innovate in other ways and, and Zuckerberg's metaverse will not, be the only one or we'll we'll fail to take off or something but but or, how do you see or, that aspect or of hackers people may learn how to mod their avatars in the metaverse to attach genitals one can imagine that as well but uh yeah i mean this this is a, a big part of the of what the people I'm, i wrote about are thinking because of you know zuckerberg has said the metaverse will have disney level measures of safety right he wants it he wants it that was a quote from from him, right? About, which takes out a funny resonance given the past couple of weeks of exactly <laughs> yeah. of controversy about whether you know Disney is secretly run by you know um, sexual deviants or whatever whatever fantasy like the right wing has dreamed up, but um, the groomer kingdom, but um, <laughs> right, right. But uh, I think that uh, the question is if if Meta is not. So, so the big problem, big problem is these people say is there's no sex tech on, on, in your apps, you know, in the app store. And so, you know, where do you get this stuff? And, and also there's a big problem. The reason that sort of, you know, people argue that for instance, sex bots are kind of pretty, not, they're not that well-developed at this point. It's not like Westworld or something. Um, right. So, so you, 
have an encounter. Well, we describe every what you meet a sex bot. I do. Whose name is Emma. Whose name is Emma. And we're at this I'm, museum. Yes. Um, she's and, the resident. She's the resident sex bot at the Erotic Heritage Museum. Right. And so I, I don't know if you want to spoil it or not, but the pieces you so at least you play with the reader wondering whether what, what sort of encounter you're going to have with the sex bot. And maybe we don't want to reveal exactly what it is, but the well, way you well, Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Well, the way you know at one point that when the people at the museum are showing you the, the sex bot, you have to wear latex gloves because touching the yeah. fake skin, like the oils could degrade the the object. And so th like that when that detail bigger was like, oh, they, like you can't have sex with this. Like if right, you can't I even mean, touch it. Yeah. Um, like we're we're very far from you know the, the yeah and I, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that there are better more recent models with you know with better more durable skin you know this i I'm, i have to imagine that you know they're, they're not all shredding at the mere touch or, <laughs> because people are buying them for whatever five or six thousand dollars so they they must they must hold up a little bit better than this one in the museum but yeah there was in the writing of the article and it's not a spoiler because i kind of frame it this way but there's a lot of pressure on me to to do something with this doll um, from the editor. And then from every, every time I tell people the, about the piece I'm working on, they, you know, all they could say is, are you going to do it? Or are you going to do it? <laughs> so it kind of, it builds in the piece, this kind of horrible, I feel like almost peer pressure to, uh, to have an encounter with, with this sex bot. And I won't say how that all goes, but um, yes, it was kind of the, the technology for the, for the bots are not really, it's not there, like I said. So we're not, I think VR is definitely like further along, but you know, you know, I don't know. The thing is, is that if these huge companies, you know, if the, if the Googles and the, and the metas and so, and so forth, were really pumping money into it, who knows? But I think that they have, you know, they have a hard time raising money. A lot of these uh, smaller outfits that are making sex dolls or developing VR. And I don't, and I, maybe it will take like, Maybe that is a space where like something like a porn hub or some, some juggernaut, some pornography juggernaut will move into that territory. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm very curious about it. If the Zuckerbergs are going to stay away, who's going to deal with that stuff? Because that stuff is going to, that's a, that's a gold mine for somebody. It's just unclear who's going to dive into it. Right. And so you, you know that Emma, this particular sex bot sells online for $4,500. So that, that's a lot. Um, I, I assume the average the average consumer is not ready to shell out that much for given the state of the technology or, or maybe, maybe ever where, so yeah, so that, I don't know. So the robot well, are they, they, they are selling them to, you know, people with some disposable income. And then I guess what these, you know, these academics are interested in are the people that, you know, there are people that take these dolls to the bar with them to go have a drink and you know they they have they feel that they are in a relationship with these dolls it's i mean it's there's something kind of sad about it from my perspective but i mean who am i but then i as i get to say in the article like in the end who am i really to say everyone's pretty lonely in this world yeah and i think and i mean that idea of you know a sex doll not necessarily robotic that a man usually a man like falls in love with and treats as a real human i mean that there was a movie that came out 10 or more years ago okay. called lars and the real girl yeah. and that has been 
I don't know. I feel like you would see that sort of thing joked about on sitcoms in the eighties and nineties or something is some, yeah, just some guy who is either deluded or pretending to be deluded that the, um, the sex doll is the real yeah, girlfriend I, or something. It's an old trope for sure. And you know, I remember Marky being very touched by the guy who put a mask on his doll to bring her out in, in, in public. The, the, the thing like that, a COVID, a COVID mask, a COVID mask. Yeah. The thing that, uh, the thing that becomes interesting, and this is something that, you know, they're kind of writing essays about it. There's an interesting anthology called Robot Sex, where uh, a bunch of different, you know, ethicists and philosophers are writing essays about the future of AI and the future of sex bots. You know, here's a, this was a big question that, uh, that these two that I were interviewing, actually, even though they're partners in this, uh, in these papers that they write, they actually disagree on this. And this was, you know, assuming that you get to a point where the, the robots are pretty advanced, what if you built child robots for people to have sex with? And is that as a therapeutic answer, as a deterrent from, you know, real children being preyed upon? Right. That's, that's where things get really strange. That's where the conversation gets very bizarre. But, you know, the, the, the counter to that, you know, and, and one of them was like, yes, you know, anything to help these people who are afflicted, who don't act on their impulses, but are living these tortured lives. Um, and then that was, I think that was one of their positions, but the counter position is, you know, more of a, I guess, a consequentialist idea of, you know, you can't model this stuff, even if no one's, there's no victim in this case, you can't model it in our for a society. And so that's, that's to me where like the, some of the questions about all this tech get kind of interesting. Yeah. And you are, you mentioned also the possibility of like uh, a robotic animal or something. So if you yeah, want to have exactly. sex with a dolphin, you can well, have sex with a robot dolphin. Twist, the Marky Twist, one of the academics I interviewed told me that she's, you know, sexually attracted to dolphins. And so, you know, I don't think she would have, uh, you know, non-consensual sex with a dolphin, although there was a woman who famously did. Um, and then the dolphin killed itself. That was many, that was in the sixties. Okay. Right. Yeah. And there was that documentary, my, uh, my octopus teacher, I didn't watch that, but that was what something people were talking about in the pandemic, but I think it, it was left it ambiguous whether there was any sort of like sexual encounter between the octopus and the filmmaker, but, but yeah, I mean, and basically it seems like we're somewhat far away from a sex robot that has any sort of mainstream appeal that sounds right. insane well like maybe well, that they don't even they don't even move you know i mean that's yeah and you try to have a conversation so they have some sort of ai and they talk yeah. and you have a conversation with emma and it doesn't quite make sense and then i guess she starts like saying her serial number <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. at one point she glitches at a certain point yeah okay so it so that seems both like the cost practicality it just seems very i don't know it seems like we're like multiple like iterations away from anything like this or any sort of convincing human robot in general supposedly elon musk has some humanoid robot that would like carry heavy objects or something that he says he's working on and okay. you know don't bet against elon i guess but that seems like we're, it's decades away as well, well i mean I, think, I don't think we're that far away from robots that will do like heavy lifting and labor and we have you know robot robotic factories and all of that it's just something that you'd want to have sex with is a different <laughs> right although but, you know if you see the robot that's very adept at whatever particular skill then the certain type of person would be more likely to be attracted to it if it's humanoid Com okay but... Com competence can be sexy yes yes um 
it seems to me like we're far away from the robot angle, but the virtual reality angle yeah. seems closer. And then, okay, you could say you would pass, you know, you could say ha having sex with a robot child or robot dolphin would bring, you know, censure upon you or something, or the company making it would be run out of town. But then if you think just writing a computer program that has a hologram or a virtual reality image of a child or a dolphin that you can have VR sex with, that seems like something that could maybe happen within five or 10 years. Yeah. Um, in general, or just anything in the virtual reality world. I don't know. It's like people have been saying like virtual reality is the next big thing for many years now as well. But like Zuckerberg shows that at least influential people who are very wealthy are trying to make it a thing. So would, would you agree with us that the virtual stuff is, seems like it's, we're much closer to that having, and having to deal with like whatever problems that brings? Yeah, we're much closer to it. And I think that just, there's so many more possibilities of, as you said, you know, you can you know, just use your imagination to create worlds and be in them. And it's, a, you know, more immersive in a way of just to operate completely outside of, you know, your physical space. Um, right. And have and, and, and explore sexualities that you are not able because of, you know, geographical or physical or cultural reasons, you know, to explore things that you are that are not available to you otherwise. So that's, you know, that I think is a powerful idea. And that's sort of the idea that is driving some of this digisexuality is that, you know, there are so many people in the world who, you know, live in a remote place or live in a place where, you know, being gay, for instance, is dangerous or have physical infirmities that, that make them marginalized in their, in their own communities. And this is a space where they will be able to flourish sexually and, and achieve some modicum of the you know, and I guess the World Health Organization has even, you know, said that, you know, sex is a part of human health. Um, and so there's this idea that maybe it can deliver that. What I was kind of interested in in the piece in, in terms of trying to find out what these academics have been thinking about was uh, where does, you know, the market come in? Where does the algorithm come in? Where do, you know, and so I, and there was a book that I mentioned by a guy in uh, Australia named Rob Brooks, but Anyway, the idea is how how are you going to be you know how are you going to be fleeced to, <laughs> as you pursue this sexual flourishing you know how will you be charged for upgrades you know how how will you be just at the at the point of you know finally finding happiness you know how many ads will you have to watch or you know how is how is it all going to work and that's I'm kind of interested and we don't know that yet completely but I'm kind of interested right yeah so the there's like the tech angle and then like the capitalist yeah. angle. Right. And if you look at how tech companies in the past 20 years have actually made their money, it's mostly, well, I mean, it varies, but Facebook, Google, Twitter make money from ads where right. with maybe some people paying for a premium tier or something, or whereas, you know, Apple generally makes this money from selling technology. But, but then you have like, I think you do mention like the freemium model, freemium which model. is, yeah, with a, which a lot, like if you download any like app games, um, most of them use this where the app is free to download, but then, you know, you play a couple levels and then like, it, it says like, you're done for the day unless you subscribe or you're like, it gets really hard, but you can like buy like three extra lives or the ability to do like get a superpower or something like that. 
I think game, I, I don't know anything about like Fortnite and that world, but it seems like that's sort of the model there also, where like you buy a new power or a new costume or something like yeah. that. Um, and so it was a model first developed by the corner dope dealer, I think. <laughs> so that'd be like first, first hit is free kind first of thing. what's free. Yeah. Right. And so that's, yeah. And so I, I stopped playing. I, there was a couple app games that I played a couple of years ago. I, I, I gave them up completely, but yeah, like angry birds and stuff like that. It, so it's, it's sort of a gambling model. That's why the Las Vegas aspect yeah. is interesting is either you are enticed into paying or you're sort of like get addicted to it right and so your attention is constantly captured and that's the addiction angle is how things like instagram and twitter and facebook often work is it sort of like and someone was just making this an interesting argument about twitter was that it gamified conversation and made it so that there were people who like one conversation for the day and you feel like you're assembling points basically with every like and retweet and that's how the that's like the addictive aspect they hit upon. So what if you add in sex to that, it you know it seems even more sinister. Yeah, and more yes, that's a that's a great way to describe Twitter. And yeah, that's you could see what you could see what it would be like if you're paying. You know, metaphorically, you're you know your pants are down, but now you have to pay. You know, right? Yeah, and. The other reason this this world, the virtual world, seems closer is like there already is online pornography, and yeah. this is, <laughs> you know, at least in most circumstances when you're consuming online pornography, you're probably by yourself, not always, of course, but also you know there's you're probably not interacting currently with some sort of device in addition to whatever screen you're viewing the pornography on, and so some sort of merging of right. like sex toys interacting with porn or live streaming or something like it doesn't need well, to be like I, 3d like well, that. I think that already I, I i was talking to somebody i think that uh with pornography like there's you know you go on and look at pornography but it immediately kicks you into like a uh a live cam site they weren't looking for a live cam but that would okay. bring into it and so i think there's going to be a lot of like you're you're in one thing and it'll bring you into the next thing and then you'll be like and then it'll say do you you, you know isn't this great don't you want to pay for it you know Right. And if like you have some sort of device attached to your genitals to help you have simulated right. sex, <laughs> it's like this. And there, yeah, you, you, you mentioned offhand that there is. And if, if the device attached to your genitals has your credit card number. Right. <laughs> but then, then you're actually not, you're not even thinking at all. It's just all. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's like the two brains thesis. Yeah. Um, and you know, people get addicted to online shopping, even when, you know, their genitals are not directly connected, but there there have been these bizarre stories that pop up about sex toys that have some online aspects so it's like you know like a butt plug or something that you like your lover or your madam or whatever your your mistress you know can control through an app and that's like their kink but then like these can be hacked and and there was one story that went viral a couple years ago of some sort of um what is the term there's like a chastity belt kind of thing like there's a fetish about men putting their penises in chastity belts and then there were, there's like an online enabled one of these like so it can like lock and unlock basically and the guy who made this was maybe a reddit post or something someone so possibly it was made up but seemingly their chastity belt thing had been hacked and then the hacker was like you know if you don't give me 500 dollars, like your penis is stuck in there forever um and so yeah so that that seems like a possible threat as well that any you know that any aspect of this could nefarious absolutely Actors could get involved. 
I write about that a little bit in the article that, I mean, the, the term that people use is teledildonics, but um, yes, security is a big problem with sex toys, with uh, remotely controlled sex toys. They're, they get hacked all the time, apparently. And, um, and yes, with the stuff we're talking about, obviously there could be all sorts of security breaching. So, you know, that's really, you know, that, I think that's a big question about all of this too. Yeah, if you're inserting part of your body, any part of your body into some sort of device that is on the web or something, like that seems possibly dangerous. Um, and But yeah. that ties back in some ways to the question of, you know, digisexuals as a persecuted class. And if you have to like hide the fact from, you know, if you can't go to work today because your penis is caught in a device that's being controlled by someone who's extorting money from you, and you can't even speak honestly about it because you'll be, you know, persecuted at work and 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 fired or or the way maybe like if you, you know, a hundred years ago, if you were gay and picked up in a public park by the cops and then, you know, your work found out like, you know, so one can one can draw parallels between that if one wanted to. Right. And then it, then the question of whether this is more an identity Right or a kink or or something in between or a, or a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. That's a you know th that's a conversation you don't want to have with your manager is that you can't come in because hackers lock your penis in, in a cage. Um, right. You don't want to exactly. tell anyone that. And so yeah. So there are also this like and this but the stigma aspect is attached to that of like oh what a loser who needs to lock you know or like the only way they can get anything is through virtual reality or a robot or something. Right. And that, you know, the social stigma aspect of it is attached, which, which, well, that's, I mean, but that's better than, oh, those goddamn digisexuals are ruining the fabric of, of our country and they need to be stopped and put in, you know, put it. Right. Which, which may be coming given, given the way like the discourse such as it is has unfolded around, like with the whole, like this ridiculous groomer, um, nonsense yeah. that people in the no, right. It's very to real that, I mean, I think the threat of that kind of thing is very real. Right. Okay. So let me ask you more about the Las Vegas aspect of this and why sure. you decided to include that in the piece. And you talk about people you meet and have a conversation with and also like gambling yourself and losing some money. You know, why did you decide to include that part in the, in the essay? Well, I mean, I just think of like their talk was in this museum in Las Vegas. And so it seemed kind of perfect this, you know, I think I call in the, in the beginning of the piece, I call Las Vegas, the, you know, the capital of magical thinking. Um, and it's sort of like all of these ideas of I'm going to find some sort of uh, fulfillment. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get, have sex. I'm going to uh, party. I'm going to all of, all, you know, our, our sort of most hopeful ideas about very addictive behaviors gain a certain kind of traction in Las Vegas. You know, even those those lines, you know, that famous line about, you know, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, as though like all these great things are happening in Vegas. And it's really kind of a pretty sad place, you know, for the most part. But also I sort of went with this idea, and this is part of the piece, you know, that I've struggled with all sorts of, you know, addictive behaviors, but never, gambling was never my thing. I was never into gambling. And um, so it's sort of about the piece also, while I'm also writing about this digisexual talk and these kind of philosophical ideas, I'm just, I'm descending into 
a newfound gambling problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's not even like a very sophisticated gambling problem because I, I'm mostly just playing slots. And um, so I play a little bit, I lose, and I say, I'm not one of those people. I'm not some like bot. And basically I kind of, I distance myself from, you know, these robotic people who keep feeding money into the machines or laying down money at the table and losing. And I'm, you know, and I'm very adamant about how I'm not one of those people. And I feel very superior to those people. <laughs> Even though I sort of find myself slipping into that, I pull back and I gather myself and I report my story. And I, you know, I, I take notes, hang out, have conversations, but I keep getting pulled back onto the gambling floor. So I kind of uh, describe that hellish journey in the piece as well. And it, I won't give away where it ends, but uh, I sort of come to a certain realization about myself in relation to both I, you know, the idea of digisexuality and the idea of what it means to be a human versus a robot. And I come to some grim conclusion. <laughs> right, yeah. And so there is something kind of, yeah, perfect about this. Uh, the event you attend at this erotic heritage museum or whatever, being in Las Vegas, which is sort of, I don't know, like, it's funny, yeah, you mentioned what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but, like, America seems to be becoming more Vegas-like um, <laughs> as time goes on. And, like, gambling in particular and, like, being able to gamble using an app on your phone has really increased just in the past couple years. And you see ads for it everywhere now, both, like, sports, sports book betting, was I guess legalized in New York State yeah. during the pandemic, and you see the ads for it everywhere. And then also, are they going to build a casino in New York, some like a closer to Manhattan? I thought I read well, that. Yeah, there's, there's. I think Eric Adams had an idea for some sort for a casino in New York, and obviously, like legalized casinos continue to expand. And then there's also, I, it, it varies by state, I assume, but at least where I live in New Jersey, you can do some sort of like gambling at the Atlantic City casinos on your app and so it's like like Las Vegas is now in your pocket basically and this seems like I haven't seen that many people comment upon this but like it seems like really bad for like everyone involved except the the casino and like the house always wins is that's that's true like they, they wouldn't be it wouldn't exist if they're not just fleecing tons and tons of regular people and a, a very small amount of people end up winning but but the vast majority lose and then yeah it's just like we're enabling another addictive activity and one that's like truly antisocial if you're just gambling on your app yeah i don't know it just like it makes me feel well i i don't know i've seen the only like intellectual uh i've seen writing about this is a woman who's was writing like the heritage foundation or something like there you know but I, it just seems like states see this as an easy way to make to get tax revenue without you know it's like raising the, li the liquor tax or something but you know it affects fewer people but you're just it's I don't cool. know. I mean, I think with the sports betting, it's going to, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money over the next few yeah, years. Yeah, it just seems like a disaster yeah. waiting to happen and exploiting, creating, like, people who didn't have this addiction before is now going to be creating right. for them through through these these apps and systems. It just seems horrible to me, so. Um, I, I, I never bet on sports in my life, but I will watch sports sometimes. But suddenly, I remember even recently, I just thought, well, I can legally bet on this game right now. And that suddenly I got this little surge of excitement. Like, that would make it even more fun to watch. And that's dangerous, you know? I think that's very, I've known a few people in my life that could systematically gamble a little bit of money each year. You know, they set aside a few thousand dollars that they were going to bet on football or something. 
um, each year and they would, you know, clear a couple of thousand because they knew what they were doing. And that was like a hobby that made them a tiny profit. But most people, I think, and I'm one of them would not be like that. And it's, it's very, it's very scary. And it's almost like if the states are doing this to raise revenue, you know, they're destroying their states as well. So then they're going to be spending all that revenue on services for the people who have been destroyed. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it, like a world where there were limited places where you could gamble and then, and like a state run lottery, like those make sense in a way. And I've, I remember years ago, someone making the case that, you know, the lottery is sort of exploitative of, of poor people and people who don't understand the odds. But like, if you didn't have that, like the neighborhood book games that like flourished in like the early part of the 20th century, those would just return. And so that it's like a, at least remove like the violence and the money yeah. is like going to education or something. And then, you know, people, there's certain activities that people are going to do, whether they're legal or not legal, of course. Um, well, the history, yeah. the history of like numbers rackets in major American cities is kind of fascinating. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it used to be like, you know, the like final two digits in the um, stock market close of the previous day, like, you know, all these right. like quarter stores and stuff would be running numbers games based on that and you know that was just how it was um but yeah it seems bad overall and then it also like the the gamification aspect of you know information technology like if you're playing one of these stupid app games often something will happen where it's like you play for 20 minutes and then it's like okay now it's time to like spin the wheel and it's like da 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 da, da. and so it's you're getting some sort of simulation of gambling and it's like oh you got a free life or you get nothing or you can spin again or something. So that the natural human attraction to like a game of chance or something is incorporated into this addiction world that apps and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram have, have created. So it also, it all seems very bad. Right. Um, well, it, it, basically you can like, you know, lose a ton of money and then, you know, drown your sorrows paying for sex all without leaving your room and never seeing another human being. Right. And, and if like, it, I think it, it does vary, but like whether you can get alcohol delivered via yeah. like Uber or, you know, Grubhub or that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, like you don't even have to leave your house to ruin your life. Whereas, you know, you, before there was, you know, you had to go to the corner bar or something at least. Um, so yeah. It well, just... now you have to leave the house to save your life. <laughs> right. Find one other human being and just, you know, hold on for dear life. <laughs> talk it talk it through yeah and well there there was like a moment last summer when it seemed like the pandemic was over when people were like okay i'm you know i've been looking at a screen for the last year and i finally want to get back to like human interaction and obviously a lot of people did do that but um i don't know maybe we're like that has helped push push us over the hump or something where we're we're still like totally fine staring at the screen all the time and then not leaving our house. And then who is creating the things that we're looking at on the screen? It's often people who don't have our best interests uh, at heart. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we're still in this strange, like post remote limbo. Like some people have gone back to work and we're kind of back, but we're still, I think emotionally, we're still in lockdown in a lot of ways. Right. And you, you know, there's a, <laughs> There's some chance that, you know, your penis could get stuck in the machine that is connected to the AI or something like you're not going to catch COVID or some other venereal disease from doing that. 
kind of thing no. versus no. going out in the real world interacting with another human that you know <laughs> that danger is there so you can see what how that could also appeal to people who are traumatized by um everything that's happened over the past couple of years absolutely i think that's and i think they're preying on that too um i think that's all i wanted to ask you about is there anything else you want to mention connected to the piece or no i you, you know talk about I, I, no i mean i don't want to i think i i hope people will read it because i uh i think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about this coming technology and sort of how we're going to negotiate it yeah and and what I was saying earlier about how porn has sort of been on the forefront of technological change, like the things that, I don't know, like the issues there end up becoming more issues not connected to um, the sex and stuff and, and just like sort of more general issues that, you know, we, I guess we should be thinking about because the, the, the technology does seem to be like coming around the bend. Um, okay, so the piece, Ghosting the Machine, Humans, Robots, and the New Sexual Frontier, your Sam website. Uh, primarily known as a novelist, but also writing nonfiction sometimes. Do you, are you a Twitter person? Do you want to direct people any to any particular place where they can find, keep track of what you're up to? No, I'm, I'm not really on any platform, but I hope people will look at my books. Maybe that's, I know that's kind of an old fashioned idea, but <laughs> you know, you can go to my Amazon page. Okay. And certainly there's nothing possibly you know unethical about <laughs> using amazon or or anything like that like that's we know that's fine um okay so well, no, i mean okay go to my powell's page okay yes <laughs> indie, indie bound is that is that the, that the website yeah. that um yeah I, there's I no amazon metaphorically i didn't mean the actual company okay <laughs> right yeah there's no there's no escape i mean at this point you know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism is the cliche oh yeah like... no and i'm not i'm not not on twitter out of you know uh ethical concern i just i know i would lose my mind and my time completely. yes and, and i which perhaps has happened to me but just yeah just like really think about twitter as within this world of gambling attention like grabbing your attention um, it's just like, instead of winning or losing money, like you lose like your mind or your job or self-respect yeah, exactly. or the respect of your peers. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's bad. Okay. But I am on Twitter and you can follow me at A-R-Y-H-C-W if you want to, to keep track of me slowly losing my mind. Um, okay. Well, uh, this has been a great conversation. So thank you, Sam. And thanks thank to you. all of the uh, listeners out there. Thank you very much.